0: I go to my computer, it's too slow for me. But we live in an instant society when you get credit, um, credit checks, uh, credit approvals in seconds, your food in minutes, and life-altering issues can be resolved within an hour. At least if you're watching TV, they do. <laughs> we can have almost anything we want anytime we want it nowadays. But still, the waiting is the hardest part. We don't like to wait for anything. We want it and we want it now. Now that may work when ordering fast food, but it doesn't work with faith. See, faith, faith has this, this intrinsic quality. Uh, there's something inherently future about faith. Faith makes you wait. Faith keeps you in suspense. keeps you waiting. And faith without a future orientation is really futile. Uh, If faith is something we can work out, it really isn't faith at all. Not the kind of faith that justifies, not the kind of faith that gains us approval and right standing with God. The only faith that can be reckoned to us as righteousness is faith in the living God, the God of the Bible, revealed in Jesus Christ, Hebrews 11 faith. So take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to read verses 17 through 22 today. And stand with me to honor God and His Word. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which also he received him back as a type. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Lord, this morning we tremble at your word. And Lord, we just ask that you would teach us today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, we've been at the book of Hebrews now for 11 months, with the obligatory break now and then. We've studied and applied to our lives some really big uh, foundational things. The greatness of Jesus, how he is better than anyone or anything. Warnings against drifting away from God and and hardening our hearts against God. Jesus as our mediator and our minister. What it means to press on to maturity. What is that rest that God promises His children? What's the greatness of the Word of God? And what it means to have God's hope as an anchor for our souls? We've seen what it takes to encourage the discouraged. We've, we've uh, thought about the Christ-centered life. Worshiping and learning and serving together in the body. And lately we've been in chapter 11 here in Hebrews. Talking about faith. Faith how it shapes our worldview, how it affects the temporary nature of our time here on earth, how Christians are really strangers in a strange land, strange people in a strange land, living as pilgrims, uh, living here but heading to heaven, heading towards heaven. And today we're looking at several examples of faith, four to be exact, and Abraham is pretty much the main character. Uh, Isaac and Jacob and and Joseph are really supporting actors in in this little drama we're going to see. And what we see is that they all shared a common faith. The faith they all had was a gift from God. Now, in verse 17... We first see Abraham, and it says, by faith, Abraham. We've heard of Abraham before here in Hebrews 11. He's a a major character in in Scripture, and he's been major already in Hebrews 11. And here it refers to um, what the Jews called the binding of Isaac. It's the story that's found in Genesis chapter 22. You may want to go there with me. This story is referred to twice in the New Testament. Right here in Hebrews 11... And also in James chapter 2. And the binding of Isaac, when God asked, tested Abraham, he asked him to offer up his son as a sacrifice to him. So Abraham, by faith, offered his son, quite simply, quite profoundly, quite faithfully to God. And in both places that the story is referred to in the, in the New Testament, it is lifted up as an example of faith. Now, that seems to be a simple point, but the Jews saw this story as an example of of the worth of being a martyr, of the redemptive quality of being a martyr. But here, it's an example of faith, but not just faith in a generic sense, but faith shown in its actions. Faith shown in real life by real actions. And so Abraham is tested by God and... He does what God asks. He goes right away and does it. He he offers his son on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Even to the point where he lifts the knife to slay his son. He had faith. He had faith in a great God that could even raise the dead. That doctrine had not been introduced yet in scripture. But he believed that God could raise the dead. So you have Abraham... And then you have Isaac. Isaac is seen in verse 20. Verse 20, we read this By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Isaac blessed his sons regarding the future, regarding things to come. You've got to ask the question what things? What things did he talk about? Well, that's seen in Genesis 27. You may want to keep your fingers somewhere in the, first, in the middle part of Genesis because we're going to go there a couple more times. But in Genesis 27, you know there was sin involved in this situation, by the way. And you wonder, why did the writer of Hebrews not bring up the point that, that he was deceived? That, that Isaac was deceived even as he was blessing his sons? Because that's not the point here. The writer's not concerned with that. Yes, it happened. But the writer is concerned with the faith of Isaac, and he blessed his sons by faith. Sure, he was fooled, but he still did it by faith. What did he he talk about? He talked about Jacob possessing a fruitful land. You see it in Genesis 27. Verse 28. The abundance of the earth, of the grain and new wine, he also saw people serving him. He was going to rule over nations. It says in verse 29, May people serve you and nations bow down to you. He also saw that he would rule over his brother. He said, May your mother's sons bow down to you. Be master over your brothers. Focused on faith. Blessed his sons. even had a a blessing for Esau. It was a good blessing. It wasn't the blessing of of the firstborn, though. But then Isaac, and then Jacob, Jacob in verse 21. In verse 21, we see Jacob by faith blessed Joseph's sons. Why? Why not Joseph? Well, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were chosen for a special blessing, and we see that in Genesis chapter 48. Israel comes to the end of his life, he's dying. It's interesting, Isaac was almost blind at the time that he That he blessed Esau and Jacob and and then Jacob was dying when he blessed Joseph's sons. And he gave them a blessing and as he did, he crossed his hands. Putting one hand on the head of the youngest son and giving him the favored blessing. And Joseph even said, dad, dad, you got it all wrong. You got your hands mixed up here. This is the young. this is the oldest, this is the youngest. He said, no. Because when Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, he saw what they could not. That the younger son's descendants would be greater, greater than the older's, in terms of number, but also in terms of power. He saw by faith. But Jacob wasn't one of those stellar examples of faith. You get to Joseph and you're like, wow, everything, you know, most of the things you see about Joseph are great, but I, uh, Jacob... You know, earlier in his life, he was not a great example of faith. He was always scheming to gain advantages for himself. At the end of his life, though, he realized how futile his scheming was. And he relied upon the faithfulness of God, the one who was called the Mighty One of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Now, in verse 22, we've got Joseph. We see Joseph, by faith, predicted the exodus. And in so doing, he provided an encouragement for the people that came behind him to keep looking towards the promises that God had made. He spoke of the coming exodus still 200 years out. 200 years down the road. It wasn't even on the horizon. And he gave orders concerning what to do with his remains once that event took place. That happens in Genesis chapter 50. this, This request... In chapter, in chapter 50, verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt, and he and his father's household, and he lived 110 years. And he saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, and the sons of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. He was a blessed man. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath. And who did he promise it to? Abraham. Isaac. Isaac. And Jacob, right there. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you. And you shall carry my bones up from here. And then he died. He died in faith. See, a lot of things could have been said about Joseph. A lot of things. Things I would have chosen. All the things he did because he believed God. But the one thing mentioned here was the one thing that clearly showed his faith in God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what's pointed out about his faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You see, in in Joseph's situation, except for his first 17 years of life, he didn't live in the promised land. He spent all his life in Egypt. He was a fourth generation heir of God's promise. Four generations who did not see the fulfillment of the promise, but lived by faith. He never hung out in the promised land. He never possessed it. 200 years earlier, God had made the initial covenant to Abraham. By the time Joseph died, no one in his family had lived in the promised land. They hadn't lived there yet. But he looked ahead in faith, sure of what he could not see. see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph didn't just say they believed. They lived it out. It wasn't divorced from practical application in their life. They lived hard lives. A lot of bad stuff happened to them. They did a lot of bad stuff. There's people like us. They lived hard lives and they trusted God in faith. They clung to God in faith. And these brief summaries of their life show how deep their faith ran, show how deep their trust in God was. It wasn't mere intellectual assent, it wasn't just an empty profession. This was seen where the rubber meets the road in their life. It spilled out onto everything. It's like when, when you spill milk on the table and it finds every nook and cranny and crack. Everything it can get into. It's like when you put butter on a warm English muffin and it just goes into all the little crevices. See? Their faith, their faith affected everything. And all who knew them could see it. Others could have given testimony that would have convicted them as people of faith. It would have been intuitively obvious, as Paul Grunwald said this morning, it would have been intuitively obvious to the casual observer that they trusted God. Sure, they did a lot of stuff wrong, but even guys like like, uh, Jacob at the end of his life, after all the scheming, after all the planning, after all the trying to figure it out on his own, He trusted God. So we see a common faith. And secondly, we see some common threads. I like looking for common threads. Common themes that run through a story. Common themes that run through a scriptural account. And here, for the first time, really, in Hebrews 11, what we see is that each verse of these six verses connect to the next. All four examples connect. Abraham offered up Isaac, verse 17. Verse 20, Isaac blessed Jacob. Verse 21, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. And then verse 22, Joseph. Uh, There's this common thread that runs through, but there's some common themes. I see three common themes here that are worthy of our attention. The first is death. Death is a common theme here. See, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. He didn't die, but he almost did. Really, really close. And we see that he, he figuratively, or literally it says in a parable, he received him back from the dead. Uh, you got uh, Isaac, who could barely see, was at the end of his life. He was about to die. You got Jacob as he was dying, Joseph, when he was dying, death was a common theme. It's common to all. All of us will die. We know not when, but it's common to all of us. So Isaac almost dies, but what we see is that God delivers even through death. Like Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. You are with me, God. There's this common thread of death, that is common to all, but it flows right into the next common thread, which is blessing. So The blessings were given at the time of death. At the end of their lives on earth, they could be seen giving honor to God, giving blessings to future generations based upon their faith. They were passing on to future generations really the content of their faith. They were looking to God to provide. And, and then another common thread is, is it goes right along with it, a future expectation. They were looking to the future. They weren't just looking right here and right now, but they were looking someday. They were looking to the future, looking forward, anticipating what was to come. So we see some common threads here. But we also see some uncommon outcomes. Some uncommon outcomes in Abraham's life, you can see a son spared. A son being spared in fulfillment of God's promise. See, it, it, the fulfillment of God's promises depended upon Isaac surviving. Isaac living. Okay? Dead Isaac doesn't lead to a Messiah, okay? Um, Isaac had to survive. Isaac was irreplaceable i know we're supposed to you know live in a way where say we're we're not none of us are you know irreplaceable and that's true we're not we're all expendable but isaac in terms of god's promise was irreplaceable he was unique uh only begotten interesting that he's called the only begotten even in genesis 22 take now your son your only son what about ishmael what's he chop liver I mean, come on, I got Ishmael over here. But you know what? He was the only son of promise. The only son he received as a result of God's promise and covenant to him. And he was the only begotten. If he died, how could those promises come true? Abraham did not doubt that the one who gave the promise required the sacrifice of Isaac. That Isaac must be offered up. So the problem for Abraham was how could the promise of God and his command be reconciled together? Huge issue. Holding him in the balance. Even as he raised the knife. But what happened was Abraham treated it as God's problem, not his. Because that's whose problem it was. It's God's problem to deal with that, not Abraham's. God never asked Abraham to figure it all out. He just said, trust me, believe me, just do what I say. He treated it as God's problem, not his. And so when the command was given, Abraham obeyed it. He left the results up to God. His duty was clear, obey God. And so he believed that God could be trusted to do his part. See, I think things work out best when, when, when we do our job and let God do his. I get myself mostly in trouble when I, when I try to do God's job. I'm pretty much on safe footing when I try to do mine. You see, when we do our job and let God do his, we don't have to stress and worry and get all wound up over so many things about God, if he's going to keep his word or not. Is God going to come through or not? Oh, yes, he will come through. He's God. He's promised. It's his concern. So Abraham's his son was spared. Abraham's son was spared even though to Abraham he was as good as dead. God could have raised him from the dead had he been taken. But he received him back from the dead in a parable, a type, in a way that prefigured the resurrection of Jesus. Now in contrast, God did not spare his own son. In contrast, God delivered him up for us all. 1 John chapter 4 spells it out very simply. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins. And then in verse 14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Maybe that's what Jesus was referring to when he said in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he was glad when he saw it. So a son was spared. We also see a beautiful picture of generations being blessed from father to son points us back to Psalm 100, and verse 5. God's faithfulness is to all generations. The passing of the, de- of the blessing from one generation to the next demonstrated that they looked to the future in faith. See, none of them experienced the fulfillment of the promises that they had when they died. And this is why they took the passing of the blessing so serious. They hadn't received the promise a blessing, so they were passing the blessing on to the next generation who they believed the fulfillment of God's plan that they would see, that it would play out through their descendants, culminating in the appearance of the Messiah in God's due time. So generations were blessed. A son was spared. Generations were blessed. And another uncommon outcome is that people were delivered. Joseph made mention of, Of the exodus. One of the most miraculous events in Israel's history. God did it. Now there was something else. The exodus is big. In fact, look at Psalm 18 for a moment. The exodus is referred to a lot in scripture. Both in the Old Testament and the New. In Psalm 18... Verse 2. We'll start at verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my rock, my God in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I will be saved from my enemies. Speaking of God giving deliverance to his people, the Exodus prefigured. All the deliverances that God would give to his people through the ages. Even the deliverances God gives us, God gives us on a daily basis. Even the ones we don't even know have happened. Where God delivers us from evil as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. There's something else that's, that's referenced here. It's kind of random, but it's bones being carried. Joseph's bones being carried. It sounds pretty random, doesn't it? What's all that about? The bones get, you know, anybody want to be a pallbearer for, you know, 40 years in a row? Who wants to carry around a bunch of bone, dead men's bones? Um, but what, that, what it does is it gives us a glimpse into the mind of the Hebrews as it relates to what they did with people when they died and what they did with their bodies. It was very important to them how and where a person was buried where their body was buried. You might remember, Abraham negotiated very carefully for a plot of ground as a burial place, the only place he owned in the promised land. Now, Joseph's dying words included this request about his burial. Um, In those days, it was a huge issue if somebody's body was left out in the open. You know, you watch like a Civil War movie and you see the battlefield strewn with, with bodies that are just laying there. In those days, it was huge. It would, it, to be, for, for you to be disgraced in any way in death was huge. So a body just laying out in the open or to be disgraced was, was an issue. So we've got to ask the question, is this what, it, what Joseph was talking about when he made mentions concerning his bones? that his body would be treated respectfully and appropriately when he died. It would make sense in that culture. But I think not. I don't think that was his concern. We've got to remember where Joseph was coming from. He was the ruler in Egypt. As a ruler in Egypt, he would have been guaranteed a a wonderful uh, funeral and, and tomb... Um, a very impre- he would have had a very impressive tomb and a very impressive burial and very imposing uh, uh, regalia that would happen when he died so it wasn't that so what was his concern I believe his concern was for those who would come after him for those who would, would follow him for those who Who would see the fulfillment of the promise. For those who would go into the promised land. He followed his father's example of making plans to have his body buried in Canaan. Now that would have been a huge encouragement. As well as a reminder as they're carrying his bones around. From place to place. That something better awaited them. That a fulfillment was still to come. That the dusty tents that they lived in were not all they had to look forward to. 200 years later. 200 years later or so, Moses carried out that request. Look at Exodus chapter 13. They took Joseph's remains out of Egypt. Pharaoh's chasing them down. The Red Sea is parted. They're just, they're running for their lives. Running for their lives through the Red Sea. And they got bones in their hands. He, uh, Exodus 13, verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. I just got I've got a smile when I think of the picture. Uh, For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. And they went. And they had his bones with them. They're bring a coffin with them the whole time. It's just wild. But it was to look forward to the promised land. Joseph didn't live in the promised land. So they carried his bones through the wilderness wandering and uh, Joseph was finally buried in Shechem after Israel conquered the land. It's recorded in Joshua 24, 32. You can read it. But see, even though Joseph's riches and his palaces were in Egypt, he knew his future was rooted in the promises of God. See, what he had in Egypt, the riches and the wealth he had in Egypt, those were testimony to what the, the wisdom God had given him in being able to save the people through the famine. But his future was not rooted there. His future was rooted in God's promises. Now, I trust, as, as God does every time we come to the Word, that God is speaking to our hearts. That when we open up God's Word, whether it's at home, alone, in our room, or with our family, or with a group of believers through the week, or when we gather here on Sundays... My, I, I, I believe with all my heart that God is speaking to our hearts through his word that he is changing our hearts through, through his word and he is impressing upon us what he wants us to get and what he wants us to take out the doors and put into our lives uh, just even this afternoon or the rest of the week but there's a lesson for us here and, and God has already given us some of the lessons but I want to point out something else as well when it comes to faith and looking to the future it's really seen first in terms of daily living daily living sometimes I find myself in a a social situation looking around and inside I'm thinking about what I've read that day in the word and I'm trying to think how does this apply to this situation and sometimes I'm hard pressed to connect the dots because Sometimes daily life seems so separate from the rest of Scripture, doesn't it? But the Scriptures are supposed to play out and permeate our daily life. So the first first thing is it's got to be about our daily living. See, we are able to look in faith to the future because God is at work in us. Because God's at work in us. In Philippians 1:6 it says, "He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Will perfect it until the day of Jesus." In Philippians 2:13 it says, "For God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure." Romans 8:28 says that God is working all things together for good, everything. Everything together for good to those who love him. He's at work right this very moment and when we know he is at work in us wow we're lifted out of the discouragement that we often fall into when we sin especially when we sin again and again do the same thing but we we then see the christian life as a process that god is at work in us i'm not done yet because he's not done with me yet and the, the, the Christian life is a process so we can relax a little bit with ourselves and also with one another who are also in process with God. It's okay. And I want to give you permission right now, this morning, it's okay to be right where you are with God and to acknowledge it. It's honest. Now, it's not okay to stay there if God is at work in us he's he's moving us in another place he's he's doing something in us that is going to take us somewhere else you're different today than you will be tomorrow or next sunday or in a year if Jesus doesn't come back before that but we recognize that we're all in process with God and each other and it's okay and it's comforting and encouraging to know God never says to us, I'm through with you. I'm through with you. He doesn't say that. See, one of the amazing things to me about Hebrews 11, when I think about Hebrews 11, I'm thinking about who's there and what they're there for. And I'm like, I wouldn't have nominated them for that. They had a better performance elsewhere, you know. I would have put them in for something else. Or I see someone in Hebrews 11, I'm thinking, What are they there for, you know? Uh, I wouldn't have put them in. But that's the the thing. I, I judge on outward appearance. God doesn't. God knows their hearts. That's why they're in Hebrews 11. And many are in for things we wouldn't nominate them for. And we would have left some of the people out because of their background or because of something they did in their life that mars the record. But God didn't do that. That's his grace. God didn't do that. Take some of the people in Hebrews 11. Take Jacob. Not until his deathbed did he kind of seem to realize it. What was really going on. But Abraham. He wasn't perfect. But he was willing to give back to God everything he had. Including the son of promise. Isaac and Jacob. They lived up and down lives spiritually speaking. And they walked by faith. But sometimes they stumbled by sight. They had times of faith and they had times of fear and anxiety. Just like us. Joseph, he rose above the problems he encountered and he was used in huge ways with God. But God works in in different ways with everybody, doesn't he? In his own way, in his own time, in each life. And we can't say just because God did it this way in someone's life it's going to be the same way in someone else's life. There's similar situations, but there's no carbon copies there. God just works in his own way in everybody's life. And every day, God is at work in every Christian. Isn't that good news? God, every day, is at work in every Christian. That's hopeful. And like Abraham, our faith is tested. Maybe not in such momentous ways, But still, our faith is tested. The reality test is put upon our faith often. James chapter 1 talks about it. James chapter 1 and verse 2 Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have a perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How has your faith been tested? And how have you come out stronger because of it? God's at work. Jesus is with us right now. Every moment, every day. And He works primarily through His Word. Always in accordance with it, never contrary to it. Stick close to the Word because Jesus works. The Holy Spirit works. God the Father works. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works through His Word in our lives. Now, if you don't know yet, if you don't know uh, Jesus, if you don't know him yet, what kind of work is he doing in your heart? I don't know. But I know this he wants to sensitize you to him and help you recognize how much you really need him. Because the gospel is that we can't do it on our own. Jesus went to the cross and did it for us, he paid the penalty for our sin. See, our sins would send us to hell. But Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Our job is to acknowledge what he has done, to believe. See, ultimately, the reason we can look with faith to the future is because we live with a greater perspective than what we have here right now. We live with the reality of the living hope that we will someday be with Jesus That we will someday be with our Savior. In John chapter 14, Jesus talked about it. Talked about giving us peace. And giving us someday a place. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. See, faith that is real in the present time on a daily basis is also focused on the future. Focused because faith is being sure of what we hope for, as Hebrews eleven one says, and certain of what we do not yet see. There's this movie uh, called Life is Beautiful. It's one of my favorite movies. It was... Uh, Roberto Benigni, an Italian actor, uh, won an Academy Award for Best Actor for this movie. It's all subtitled in, in English. It's a, it's in Italian. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, it make it makes you laugh and it makes you cry. But he plays a Jewish man who was who put into a concentration camp by the by by the Germans, and he he and his little boy get put into this this railroad car and then into the into the camp and. All through the movie, he's, he's giving his son this vision of, of, uh, of a better future. All the while, he's kind of resigning himself to the fact that they're going to probably be exterminated. But he keeps playing it out with his boy as a game. Whoever gets the most points wins. And, and uh, the end is, is sad because the, the father dies, but the boy lives. Um, But he gave him this hope, this this future hope, and and he passed it on to his boy, and his boy was oblivious to the issues going on because he was so focused on his hope. See, when I think about people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they seem to tower above us with almost superhuman strength. They're superhero powers. And it's easy to think of our faith as like this, you know, weak shadow of the real faith they had. But that is not the case. The same faith they have is the same faith we have. It's a gift from God. The same faith they had that was given by God is the same faith we have which is given by God. See, we seem to think I could never respond to God in faith like they did. Well, think about all the things they did that weren't good. We can do that, right? Well, we can do the other thing too. Um, We live like them. Obviously, in different kind of houses, different kind of wrappings, the outsides look different, but the internal issues are the same. They are just like them. We're dealing with sin and with selfishness that messes up our relationships with our spouses and our brothers and sisters and our moms and dads and um, uh, infects the body of Christ and, and hinders our witness in the world. We're dealing with the same issues and we're dealing with a sinful nature that condemns us to hell were it not that God broke through in Jesus. He broke through into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. Changed the whole picture. See, they trusted that He would come. They trusted that Jesus would come. They didn't know His name, but they trusted that He would come. And in in the end of Hebrews 11, God says, He says that... uh, Verse 39, they all gained approval through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised. Look at verse 40. Because God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. The something better is someone better, and it's Jesus. And so in Christ, we are blessed because He is our deliverer. He will take us to be with Him where He is, in the place He has prepared. After Jesus was born, angels did something. When Jesus was born, angels praised God. We see it in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, here's what they said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were spiritual yet sinful men who trusted in God, looking to the future. And their faith was focused on the future, firmly fixed on the naked word of God, the word of God alone. And if you ever have trouble accepting the word of God, the key to accepting the word of God is realizing that God's glory is higher than man's good. God's glory is higher than man's good. What he says matters more than what we think. And for us, God's glory is the source of our good. We receive his grace freely. Our freedom from sin bought by Christ's blood. Giving forgiveness of sins. And all who have been justified by faith have, as Romans 5, 1 tells us, peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have received our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. You see, ultimately, God will bring about outcomes of his own choosing in our lives, in our families, and in his church. He will do it. We will benefit greatly, but we are not the focus. It is all for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you that everything you do is for your glory And our good. And we praise you Lord God. Thank you Lord. We pray that you would reorient us. To focus on. On your glory.